Hello and welcome back to Coast to Coast FC, the new Canadian soccer podcast focused on all things CPL, Canadian Championship and more. My name is Felipe Ajejo. And I'm Mike Rice. And this week we are going to look back at yesterday's Canadian Championship semi-finals. Make sure to follow us on our Twitter at Coast to Coast FC and on Spotify and Google Podcasts so you know exactly when we upload. But before we get into the games, let's start off with bringing some good news right off the bat. Uh, obviously, last night, Ali Ahmed had a horrific injury uh, in the middle of the Whitecaps versus Pacific game. Later that night, we got the good news that he is all clear to travel with the team back to Vancouver. The statement reads that Ahmed suffered a concussion with a momentary loss of consciousness. He then regained consciousness and was transported to Victoria General Hospital ER, where he received a full evaluation at the hospital, including a CT scan, and returned to normal levels. So, you know, everyone is very, very happy to hear that news. Obviously, it was a very scary moment last night to see him uh, just, you know, with uh, the blankets up and everything. It was, it was, everyone was definitely affected by it. So we're very happy that uh, he's okay. And hopefully, I mean, concussion is still a very serious thing, but given uh, how it looks, uh, I think it's, it's safe to say that everyone is happy that it was just uh, the concussion. But um, now uh, we can get straight into that game. Uh, it was the uh, second game, but we're going to talk about it first because it was a more exciting one, uh, which was uh, Pacific against Vancouver Whitecaps at Starlight Stadium. The final score of that was Pacific 0 and Vancouver Whitecaps 3, uh, an emphatic victory on paper from the Whitecaps. The goals were scored by Julian Grassel in the 14th minute, Ali Ahmed in the 17th minute, and then super sub Simon Betcher in the 78th minute. Now, Mike, I know that you uh, tuned in at a rather awkward time um, for this match, but uh, what were your initial thoughts on the game, you know, especially since it was almost three halves of football, really, uh, because of the injury to Ahmed? Uh, what did you think about Pacific's performance and the Whitecaps? Yeah, really, um, it showed the clinical edge the MLS side had in the end, wasn't it? Um, Pacific did so well for long periods of this game, created more of the chances, but Vancouver hit them on the break, which obviously, which we've, we've come to see from them in MLS this year. They've been very good. Um, and they, they just made their chances. Uh, they made their chances count. Um, and unfortunately for, for Pacific, they were unable to, um, and it just, yeah, it, it was just, a, it was just a sign that they were, they had that little bit of extra quality um, where, when the chances fell, they took them. Yeah, I mean, it, it, right off the bat, you could see when Pacific started, they had intent, um, and it looked like Whitecaps were a little shaky. I was wondering, you know, when I first saw it, if. Uh, if the nerves of not repeating 2021 was playing in the back of their minds because players like Laborda and Blackman were making little mistakes that riled up the crowd in the opening minutes. But once the Whitecaps sort of got into a flow, yeah, it was it was just, I think, Pacific. I mean, James Merriman talked about afterwards. They were a bit naive. I think they sort of smelt a little bit of blood in the water and they kind of got too excited and committed too many men forward trying to break down uh, a stubborn Whitecaps side. And the Whitecaps then hit a counter and 
punish them for that. And it was a, uh, not you know it wasn't probably deserved based on the play um especially with how pacific started and yeah i mean that second goal as well poor clearance leads to a perfect opportunity for aliyama to score it's 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 unfortunate obviously obviously what happened afterwards but i think these are lessons for pacific to learn from but uh then yeah afterwards um after the injury you can understandably you know, see that Whitecaps were a little shell shocked mm-hmm. from what just happened to Ali and Pacific. Um, had so many chances, had all the possession in the seventeen minutes of added time in the first half, uh, but couldn't quite score. So it, yeah, it was definitely a lesson in in clinical finishing. Um, but uh, what did you think about the the second half of Pacific, where it felt like they had. Uh, it was a more even game, but still they had the upper hand. Yeah, they did at the time. Yeah, I agree with um, Whitecaps. Didn't they, they were comfortable to a degree, and they were a little bit more um, conservative of what they were doing in possession, not committing too many men forward at times, and just managing the game quite well. But Pacific were looking to get back in and really had opportunities to do so, and it talks about how how good players like uh, Kubas are in the middle and uh, how great Blackman's doing at centre-back. Um, he, they, they've got a strong core to this team. Um, and Pacific FC attacked those those um, those wide areas and they were really, really strong doing it. And this is where a lot of their great play comes from. I mean, Ayman Salouf and Josh Hurd as the, sort of the, the wingers in this, two very different types of wingers, but... Um, bring something to the team that really, really puts defenders under pressure. Salouf, we've we've spoken about before, his ability to just glide, cut inside, and to create shooting opportunities on his right foot from the left. But he was also then beating uh, Javain Brown um, for pace down the wing as well and getting crosses in. So he was was mixing up his play a little bit. um, And he was so involved. I mean, the... uh, the, the games sort of got to him after a while with the amount of times that was going down his line. He had to be replaced by um, Kekuta Mane, who sadly just didn't get in the game. Um, but on the other side, Josh Hurd was fantastic again. His constant hard running and work for the team. And I'm really, really impressed with Lee, the combination him and uh, Kunle Dadaluk uh, have on that right-hand side where they can... They can really punish the, the fullbacks. Don't know whether they're going if Dada Luke's going to get down the wing and whip in across and use his speed and pace to get down there. Does Josh Hurd then cuts inside? If Josh Hurd keeps his whip, Dada Luke can play these underlapping runs uh, through the middle. Um, Aparicio comes across to those sides as well and causes problems um, and sort of overloads there really well. So they, they they're so strong and I was really impressed with those wide areas. It was just they can't turn those chances into goals at the moment. Um, but I was uh, say that though I was really impressed with Daniels up front. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear your opinion of him, considering that they've got three very different centre forwards, haven't they? Vangaro, Daniels, and um, Adjanaila Reed. Um, I thought Daniels was fantastic in this one, uh, especially his um, sort of selflessness off the ball as well. Yeah, no, I think Pacific are are sort of blessed with three different profiles where they can have the throw one on in different situations. I mean, it made perfect sense when they brought off Daniels to put Isidangaro because at that point, 
you know, it's you just you just have to try to get a cross into the box and hope the big man gets on the end of it, right? And so you can sort of switch your play style. But I was really impressed with Daniels. I think his work rate is superb. I think it matches. That's I think the, the most important part, and I think that the biggest difference with Ethan Ongaro is Ongaro's work rate. I don't think matches the rest of the team right now. It always feels like he's. Uh, He's a bit behind. He's a bit sluggish at times, and 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 especially in a team of hardworking players, attacking diverse players like Pacific, it it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. But for uh, Daniels, he fits right in with that. And yes, obviously he didn't get a goal, but you know his his off the ball play was really good. The runs he was making, um, I I thought he was definitely uh, a huge player for them um, in that match, even if they didn't get the result that they wanted. Um, but yeah, Kikutamane and Angara, like you said, came on. Didn't feel like they added too much. It really only added nice to read was the uh, the super sub with an, um, enough impact cutting in from the from the wing, and uh, it felt like I don't know. It was just that bad day at the office for them because they had plenty of chances. Yohei Takaoka came up with some pretty big saves. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think maybe that can be a point of difference is the goalkeeping. You look at the goalkeeping from. Uh, the Whitecaps, they have Yohei Takaoka, who has, like, well, I think one of is in the higher percentile keepers with clean sheets, especially after a shutout streak that he had for the Whitecaps. And then you look at Emil Gazdoff, a very young goalkeeper who, I mean, I know we everyone's talked about it, but we got to also talk about that third goal against Simon Betcher because it was a bit of a howler from Emil Gazdoff. What were your thoughts on the, on that third goal from him? Yeah, it was so hard to see because like the angles that we're watching out the television is like from the other side, so it's quite far off at first. And you see Betcha go through, and what an what incredible season he's having coming into the first team and gets straight on it and straight away he scores goals. He's such a great impact player coming off the bench for um for the Whitecaps. But once you get a better view of that shot, it's um Gazdov's left a little gap. Uh, in the near post and just gone down slowly and got his angles mixed up or it's just a it's just a poor 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 um placement from him and just wasn't wasn't quick to react and get down properly and get just get his body behind the ball um so yeah it's another big mistake but it's it's so frustrating and it must be so frustrating for him as well because he pulls off some incredible saves throughout this game just shortly after um I, I forget who it was, but I think it was uh, maybe it was Brian White in the box. Um, got the cross in. I can't remember. No, before I probably not because um, uh, Betra was there uh, on the pitch. But someone, maybe it was Pedro Vite, a cutback came in and Gazdov gets himself out quick and he closes down the angles and blocks the shot and makes this great save. And he, he does those throughout the game. And But then there's these little howlers and... He's 19. It's sadly is going to happen, um, but it looks like the way he reacts each time is promising for him and the Pacific going forward in the future. But that won't won't really make up for the here and now and the and the fact that that did kill off the game. Their, their chances of trying to get back in it all of a sudden you're three goals down when, um, yeah, when it makes it when you're already struggling to really get that touch in the box to get a goal back. Yeah, and and it was honestly an, a bit of an unflattering scoreline for Pacific because they didn't deserve to lose three three nil. But you know these are the the lessons I learn where it's the game as much as it's about you know who dominates over a large period of time and all of these things. The game ultimately hinges on decisive moments and whoever ends up 
being the one to take advantage of these decisive moments usually ends up winning the game, regardless of what happens throughout the 90s. So I think that's what Pacific got um, got that lesson learned now, hopefully. Um, but I think we should also talk about some Whitecaps players. I mean, Whitecaps had a bunch of players that were really impressive. Um, Julian Gressel, it continues to be such an integral part to this team creatively. Gold didn't uh, obviously make an appearance in this match, but it honestly felt like they didn't need him there because Julian Gressel and, and Alessandro Trapp of well mm. um, did uh, sort of his job and creativity and keeping the attack going and, and carving up these chances, just the passing play between uh, those players and all of the Whitecaps is becoming so, so good. It's such a joy to see the, the, the quality of football they're playing, especially considering the quality of football they were playing last year and the year before wasn't anywhere near this. Um, and yeah, so I think the, the, the attack is, is being huge, but I mean, obviously when you're keeping clean sheets against a team that's so attacking specific, you gotta look at the defense. What did you think about the performances by players like Tristan Blackman and Yohei Takaoka? Yeah, they're building something really good there, aren't they? They 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 have so much confidence. Blackman, I mean, at times he was playing like as a fullback again, bombing forward, he's carrying the ball out and being very, very great on the ball as well as a comfortable like um leader at the back and really helped Laborda. Um he Laborda gets the chance in centre back for a change, uh, as he's been used in right back so often by uh, Vanny Sardini since coming in. Um he looked really good, uh, even when um, and he's trying to deal with like the long balls into the box with Easton Ongaro. There's such a big height difference, so it's such a I mean, Ongaro is a giant, isn't he? And uh, he looked relatively comfortable dealing with him in the air. He looked comfortable on the on the ball. Just a few mistakes, which I uh, I, I don't think uh, they're not so much individual errors from the border in that game. I think it was more how well Daniels pressed him, so like how well Pacific were doing at times that those mistakes that we may be able to look back at and say, okay, well, he's given the ball away here. He's done that. He, but he was put under so much pressure. Um, up the field, you mentioned Schopf there. Uh, he had a tough, he took a little bit of time getting sort of integrated in the team after coming in last year, but coming back from injury and working his way in, I mean, he's, he's showing why he was brought in and showing why like he's definitely going to be back into that midfield straight away um as he's building up his match fitness and he he looked um absolutely quality um in this game and you can't you can't go wrong with Brian White up front can you at the moment he's doing so well and the same with like <laughs> mirroring what Daniels was doing up front he just doesn't stop running he works hard he puts you under pressure but he's also very good on the like very good in that final third whether he's getting trying to get on the end of something or if he's creating as well which maybe you don't so much think of with brian white but he's been doing really well with that and for me like yeah i mean you you follow the white caps as well and so uh, sergio cordova is the the biggest question mark over this team big dp signing i just he still appears to be struggling to fit in with his teammates on the field. Things just don't seem to be clicking too well for him. How how how's your opinions on that? Yeah, I mean it, it's tough for for Cordova because you do look at players like you know Brian White. He also is a player that's getting a bit unlucky in front of goal. He had a great opportunity in this game to to score that. Um, Gazdorf did really well to save and then it hit off the crossbar. So it feels like you know. 
Brian White is Mr. XG right now, where he just has such a high XG, but he, he can't get the goals actually. And but he's still a very hardworking striker. And like you said, the way that he, pr- he presses, the way that he plays with the other players is really, really seamless. And you can understand that because he's been playing with them for quite some time now. Yeah. Um, while you know, Cordova is still, I mean, it, it feels like he's he's trying, and you can see that he's trying, he's working hard too. He's He's running up and down the pitch still, even like in the last moments when they had a counterattack, he was still barreling down in the 88th minute. But it just feels like, I don't know. There were so many chances where I thought that, whether it be David Casado, Pedro Ite, um, even Julian Gressel, they had the opportunity to do a good pass to him where he was clean on goal and mm. it just wouldn't come off. And you could keep seeing him get frustrated and frustrated yeah. of basically why won't it fall to me? Why can't I get the chance? Because yeah. that's the biggest thing is he can't even get that chance. Like I'm sure if he gets those chances, he doesn't put away and he doesn't put them away. That's a different thing, but he mm. can't even get the chances. They're not falling for him. So it's super unlucky for him because I feel like he, he is quality and I think he can show, um, maybe not the DP tag, but he can he can sort of justify why he's in the team in the first place. He just needs those chances to fall on him, and it's even harder when you have somebody like Simon Betcher, this American kid off the bench who just keeps scoring goals. He's got like eight or nine goals and like fourteen appearances, and it's like his actual like goal goal per minute ratio is is ridiculous. Is a goal like every thirty minutes or something like that. Um because he's just so effective. So obviously that's great for the team, but you look at Cordova and you're like, and you see mm-hmm. your two strike uh, partners, but also competition sort yeah. of one's getting all the goals and the other one's getting all the plaudits for the hard work. What am I, what am I being left with? Right. So it's a bit difficult for him, but uh, I think Sartini is going to stick with it. I think he trusts in him. I think he believes in him, uh, knows that eventually it will come. So I think we're going to keep seeing, from uh, seeing more of Sergio Cordova. Uh, I just hope that it falls to him at some point. I feel like every game, I'm like, just let him score one. Just let him <laughs> score one. <laughs> that yeah. way he can kickstart and he can start going. Exactly. He just looks so frustrated at times, even when like little soft fouls kept going against him. And he was just, you could see him just like, oh, come on, I'm trying so hard. I'm doing it right. And everything yeah. we're getting called against him at the moment. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> you can't fault his commitment, but yes, yeah. it's... <laughs> it's so unlucky with everything with everything that's going on with them but i mean that's that's what you gotta you just gotta keep working you gotta just keep working until it finally starts to go your way but uh looking forward now um pacific are back in cpl action this weekend what uh what do you think pacific need to do going into now they don't have to worry about this canadian championship anymore they can just focus on the league what do you think they need to build on and learn from in this match to uh to try to emulate the successes that they had the last time they faced the Whitecaps, they beat them. And then that season they won the league. What do you think they need to do to try to emulate that success from two years ago? Yeah, I think they need to start realizing what their, um, what their main 11 is now and how they want to exactly play. We, we sort of brought up a few times now, the three very different strikers. I, for me, the way he's playing, uh, Daniels needs to be their starter and they need to work out a way to um, play to those strengths uh, rather than mixing it up for a different game. So one game he starts, one game Mongaro starts the whole way. It changes. They need to, one of these strikers needs to put themselves as the starter and like they had with Alejandro Diaz beforehand. Um, 
they they do so well at getting the ball forward. They can they can attack so quickly. We saw that last night. I mean, they ended up with uh, if I quickly check the stats here, they had uh, sixteen shots of thirty five percent possession. So they can get the ball through. They can attack with whip. They can get the ball across and whip it in, or players can cut inside and take shots. But they're just not being as regularly clinical as a top side needs to be. Um, and that's just going to come with being a little bit more consistent in who's who's definitely going to be starting there um, and just building that confidence around them. I think that that will come. Um, I was interested Bradley Vliet wasn't in the team. Uh, he wasn't even on the bench. Um, I think someone like him provides... Uh, what Dada Luke does on the right, um, as as uh, as really well um, played by uh, Mukumbilwa uh, yesterday at left back. He's a right footed player who, who who wants to cut inside every time. Salouf the same on the right hand side. So with someone like Bradley Fleet, it would have been nice to get some pace and speed up that left wing to be able to whip a ball in as well. Um, so you've got those mixed up sort of mix and match sort of attacking styles. Um, but yeah, they've got all the pieces. It's just, uh, I still think Merritt, James Merriman's just trying to confirm who he wants to be that starting 11. Um, and with such a deep squad and such good talent, it, it is, is a, it's a bit of a headache. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it, that, I mean, this is sort of the, the, the headache that a lot of top managers have to deal with is you have a bunch of top players that give you different things. They, they, they have different play styles. They kind of need, different tactics and and you got to cater to sort of all of them and and you're sort of figuring out how you can get the best out of most of them if not all of them while also being cohesive and consistent so that your team can actually perform well that's why i always say you can have a team full of superstars but if you don't know how to make them play well together mm. you're never going to achieve anything yeah totally so i think james merriman <laughs> yeah exactly so I feel like uh, I feel like you know to avoid the issues happening on <laughs> in the East Coast with Toronto, uh, he needs to learn a little bit um, from this game and, and put that in. Um, but yeah, I mean, actually, before we go and talk about the Whitecaps, we uh, we gotta I guess also talk about we we say we have to talk about individual moments and performances. Uh, I guess we should talk about the, um, what happened with Ahmed, uh, the tackle itself, because I've been hearing. Um, I've been seeing debates on Twitter whether it was a necessary challenge or whether it was a reckless challenge. Did it require um, a red card, a penalty, a foul at the very least, something like that because of the the way that Ali went down and everything. Uh, I was curious to see what were your thoughts on Cedric Toussaint's challenge and uh, even his performance because I felt like he just kept fouling people even after that. I felt mm-hmm. like he was just biting at the heels of of the Whitecaps and uh, after such an injury or causing, you know, inadvertently, obviously, I'm not saying that he did it maliciously, but still inadvertently causing an injury, you would feel you would want to, you know, step back a bit, but no, he just kept going. He kept biting. Um, but yeah, what were your thoughts on, on, on the challenge from Cedric Toussaint and, and his performance? That Yeah, it was, hor- I mean, it was horrible to, horrible to see. And so, so glad um, that um, Ali Ahmed's making a, speedy recovery to that to uh to at least know that he's safe and on the mend uh at least so hopefully we continue to hear good news from that but i i understand why people will go mad because when you see such a bad when he falls so badly i mean aliam is quite a slim guy um he fell it just looked terrible we don't need to dwell on um that part of it at all um but 
I felt Toussaint went in, he won the ball, and you can get angry, you can, emotions can build when you see something so bad happen to another player. And you can, like, when you look back at it, you can say, oh, yeah, this is terrible. Like, deserves to go. He's injured the man. But I really felt like he got the ball. I felt like it was a very good tackle. And it was just so, so unfortunate um, for Ali Ahmed how he, how he got injured. Um, and yeah, that, I mean, that part was terrible to see. But I, I felt Toussaint done that. He's there to, break up play is there to stop teams building sort of the way to like to stop teams getting a rhythm and you see players around the world do that they're so important um not so he does well on the ball he does pass the ball around he does do decent things but it's so vital to just stop teams getting um a rhythm against you and and he does so well at that um and he kept focused and he kept going till till um till he was uh, taken off in the second half and i i feel he did the right he made he was making a good decision uh, a good tackle uh, and it was just terrible what happened afterwards yeah no I, I agree with you there where you know it did seem like maybe because of circumstances obviously ali ahmed was like in a very threatening position breaking on on goal almost so he was sort of the last man to try to defend before he was basically sort of one-on-one with Gazdov. And that was just after conceding the second goal. So obviously you you feel like you need to say to do something or else the game is going to get away from you. So I guess you could say it was a bit of a desperation challenge, but I still thought it was a good tackle, a strong tackle for sure. But like legal, definitely. And and I think the follow through even was was clean. I just think, like you said, it was it was super unfortunate. And I mean, hopefully that he Ahmed recovers well. And I know Toussaint is not going to look back on that one fondly um, of, of that challenge. But yeah, like you said, that's, that's what players like him do. Even you look at a player like Andres Guas on the Whitecaps. Yeah. Why is he so integral for them? Is because the way he breaks a play, he's a bloodhound on the ball, the way yeah. that he tracks players down and, and steals the ball away from them. And and it's the same sort of thing where you need to have those players sometimes. And, you know, you make that tackle 100 times, 99 times, the player will be fine. He'll just have a little bit of a knock. Mm. But this was the one time where it became way more serious than it was. And I think, yeah, emotions ran high and and... Players obviously are going to want to move on from it, but fans are always going to remember, and hopefully fans can give the benefit of the doubt to Cedric Toussaint because I don't think any player really wants to go out there and seriously injure any other player in the sport. So um, I'm hoping that there be people will look back on it a bit more um, uh, mercifully than yeah. than they did immediately afterwards. Um, but yeah, now talking about the Whitecaps, I know we don't talk about MLS here, but I guess we can look towards the Canadian Championship final for them now that we know their second opponent, which is Montreal. Spoilers for the second half of the show. <laughs> um, but it is Montreal. Uh, what do you think the Whitecaps, I mean, do they need to do anything really ahead of that match? Or do they have to just keep going the way that they're going and and playing because it seems like they're playing the best football that we've seen in them in years. That's right. They do look, they look settled, they look organized, and they will just continue and continue the same way. Sartini didn't really make too many changes. There wasn't, they called up, they gave uh, Levante Johnson a uh, short term deal to run like to, with the first team and didn't even get him, as, and for some reason, didn't even put him on the bench. Um, 
So, so people who want to see their young players come through and keep uh, keep progressing as a team may be quite frustrated, but Sartini's got this group of players which you can almost tell exactly who's going to play. Um, and if there are changes, you can often predict them just based on who played the last game and where his usual tweaks will be. Um, though I, I can't see many changes happening unless they're forced. And they'll just continue playing the way they are, which is, I mean, the they 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 are the best Canadian side at the moment. Um, the way they're playing, they're so consistent. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's going to be hard for Montreal to uh, to try to be able to defeat the side, especially the last time out they went to the BC place was not one they're going to want to repeat after no. being brutally battered five 0 and getting a red card inside the opening half an hour. Uh, but speaking of Montreal, let's move on to the second semifinal, which was Montreal against Forge FC. Montreal came out the victors in this one at home at Stade Saputo, 2-0, with goals from Lasseter in the 54th minutes. And uh, Sinusa Ibrahim in the 78th minute, he loves this competition and he loves scoring against Forge. It's just apparently his favorite thing <laughs> is just to score against Forge. Um, <laughs> but Mike, what were your uh, initial thoughts on this match? Because, you know, from my point of view, it felt like Forge kind of threw this one away. They did. You know, the the goals was one was the Ibrahim goals, a bit mistake from um, Andrew James not being able to clear well. Um, but that last hit goal was just a horrible deflection and just took away all the hard work that they put in through the game. And it's, uh, I mean, it's not, not their fault. They're trying to keep the ball out of deflection to deflection. Um, so it's not, uh, they, they did so well. They look so, so organized through long periods. I think people tuning in who don't watch MLS or CPL probably wouldn't be able to tell you straight off the bat, which one was the uh, MLS side and which one was the CPL side. It looked really, um really competitive especially in the first half um but i think that the changes at half time really did make the difference um with um bringing in um Gennonso off four and kept getting like a uh getting a main striker up there it it affected the whole team for montreal uh, montreal it wasn't just oh this striker's here he's going to change the game the way that they were able to build up the play just got a bit more threatening. Um, and Forge did really well um, for um, to try and keep them out. But yeah, just um, that deflection just sort of really knocked a little bit of the stuffing out of them for a while. Uh, and they tried to recover, um, but they just couldn't, they just couldn't get out. And they just weren't threatening in the final third for long periods of this game. Just a couple of bright sort of flashes, a um, bit of individual brilliance, um, but there wasn't, it wasn't enough to really worry that Montreal defense. Yeah, I mean, it was frustrating to watch, obviously, as like on a personal side, I love Forge FC and I want to see them succeed. And knowing that uh, they had it in the palm of their hands, the way that they were playing, they were outplaying Montreal, especially in the opening half hour, they were outplaying Montreal in Montreal. And then, like, and this is what you want to see. This is what you want to see from a CPL side is to be able to really bring it to an MLS side to show how far the league has come. And it was just frustrating to see that all of that hard work was done away with a poor, with a couple poor goals to concede. Obviously first one was inadvertent and the second one was just, I don't know, tired legs. Maybe it, it, it definitely felt like forge 
in the second half looked a little burnt out and that might be because of how much Bobby relies on his 11 and sure he makes a couple of switches but a lot of the players are the same players that he always plays and always relies on and they usually get the job done but I felt like maybe this was an, a chance uh, uh, an, an occasion where it kind of the the main players maybe felt a little tired they felt a little like already they've had so many games this season in such a short amount of time where maybe they're starting to feel it now and they don't have the luxury of you know maybe say pacific in the way that they have so many good players that they can throw on and stuff like that forge do have good players off the bench but you know you very much rely on the kyle beckers borges as schweinaires um even abubakar sissoko and you have some game changers maybe like noah jensen and stuff like that but it still feels like forge if it's not going their way like with plan a by plan b if it plan b is not going well which it sort of was after you know the first goal went in then plans there's no plan c really there's no kind of um backup backup plan for forge yeah. and i know maybe that's asking a lot for a team to to have but this is what you do need in, in cup competitions because it's not like you can rely on an away leg or you know on bouncing back next game you have to figure out uh, solutions to problems in the moment in the in, in those 90 minutes so i feel like forge uh we're struggling with that a bit and um it's just it's just the lack of incision i mean for you i wanted to ask you about what you thought about forge's attack because we talk about you know the two goal, goal top goal scorers of the cpl last season ozazi de rosario women Passius, both of them really haven't shown up this season and with Passius, I'm even more surprised because of how much confidence he was showing at the even at the end of last season. And then this season hasn't really got going for him and felt like Hamilton and Campbell also were just weren't finding it today. So what were your thoughts on the the Forge attack? It's been strange, hasn't it? Because when watching this season, it seems like um, Bobby wants to convert like Basias into his uh, left winger, cutting inside quite a lot, and he hasn't really played as a centre forward regularly um, this season. So, and with such a long off season as well, it felt like it, he did look like a player who's working his way back into the position in in some ways. But that's not to not to knock him um, because they just weren't able to get the numbers forward to support him when they were able to break out. They 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 just they had a really difficult time, I think, to start the game, especially where Kyle Becker was just sort of caught in two minds so often that he was having to then take the safer option of dropping back because Wanyama was inching forward a lot more um, than maybe he usually would do. Schwanier was moving in, Duke, Milievich, they didn't have a centre forward. So they were all dropping into the midfield and causing overloads there that forced Becker back to compete and to protect the ball and to win it back and get the ball forward. And it left them really open. Borges um, and Schwanier wide. And Persius was just on his own against some, uh, often two defenders at a time at least. Um, when they could get it forward, I mean, there was a good... Good ball out to Borges I'm seeing in the first half. And they managed to sort of open up the defence and create some holes and a quick sort of breakaway and Borges getting forward. And I think it was Corbo, um, mistaken. But he just put off the ball completely, just pulls Basias back, falls to the floor. You know, game carries on, the referee's not seen it. And 
that it was just th- that opportunity. If he could have got in front of Corvo, Borges was getting onto it. If a ball could be whipped across, that's where you'd love to see it. Like Vasilis just getting on it, one touch finish. Can, like those, those were what he, I guess, what they were hoping for, using his pace to get around and just try and get in front of a defender for one chance. Um, but they just it just it just wasn't there for them. Um, Schwanier on the other side, he had an incredible run um, in the first half as well, just carrying the ball from. I think he picked it up quite near like the halfway line, cut inside and started breaking through gaps in into the box, um, getting the chance away. But it was moments of individual brilliance that was required, unfortunately. And I think that just that's just what left Basias completely alone um, for long periods of that against very competitive defenders. Yeah, and, and I don't know if I mean this experiment of putting Basias in the wing is going to work out for either. Forge or the player himself, because it just doesn't feel like he's the same player. And maybe it'll come out good, but for now, it's not really all that convincing. Mm-hmm. Um, but one player who definitely had an incredible match, uh, all things considered, was uh, Tristan Henry. Uh, Tristan Henry made so many crucial saves for for Forge. It was like there was that. I mean, the one that just sticks in my head is Chinoso for basically had a point blank header. He was about maybe like. Two, two inches from the line and he just headed it across and everyone thought I was in and then Tristan Henry came in and just palmed it away I mean obviously conceding the goals that he did you can't really say they're his fault one was a deflection and the other one was a poor clearance and and Ibrahim was was basically right at his doorstep he can't yeah. do much there he tried to get it he even got some contact on it but couldn't keep it up but still he made uh, four saves overall, and and all of them were were huge, especially that one on 04. Um, it just sucks that you know, as a goalkeeper, you're doing everything you can to keep your te- team into the game, and and the the attack is is just not gelling, and it feels like it, it, things aren't going your way. And credit to Montreal, I mean, the way that they set up this three four three that they're playing now is is it, it's working so so well for them and it really helps stop those overloads that forge love to do by having basically like always two men on the wing the, the right center back and the right back and the left center back and the, and and the left wing back because that's where forge sort of thrives through those overloads in the wings and in the half spaces i think they did really well but yeah overall i think it was a a poor game uh, for Forge, and I feel bad for Tristan Henry because he he did everything he could <laughs> to try to keep the uh, the his team in in the match. But uh, sometimes you just have those games. But uh, looking forward, I mean, Forge, this is the first defeat of the entire season. Uh, how do you think, Mike, that they're going to bounce back from this and try to go and and get their another? league triumph after another bit of Canadian championship heartbreak at the hands of Montreal. That's the that's the big thing. It's another league triumph they're looking for. They're so they're so dominant week in, week out in CPL. Like that this game, when you come up against uh, Montreal, it's you're not going to be able to dictate the play all game long and they have to change the way they play. Uh, which is why when we spoke in the last episode, we gave our predictions. For me, I felt Pacific had the better chance of the CPL size to progress because they can just hit on the break and they can be a little bit dangerous. And while they like to like dominate the game in CPL, they've got the players who will, you can use on the counter-attack quickly. Whereas I, I find Forge have been so dominant for so long doing the same style of play. It's really hard for them to 
to adapt to these games where Mon- Montreal, uh, the the biggest side, the MLS side with a bigger budget, with a I mean, players like Victor Wanyama, who's been an excellent Premier League central midfielder for for years. Um, and they've got all these players, players that have gone to World Cups. They they have them and they try to bring in these young players as well um, from a strong academy. So it's, it's really difficult for Forge to adapt to that game completely. Um, and in, so unfortunately for them, it deflections and little and a, and a, and a small dis, um, mistake with what was the what separated the two sides really. Otherwise, they did so well. You obviously mentioned Henry there with five, uh, four big saves. They had the, Montreal had twenty one shots in this game. And while many of them were off, off target, it's because of how well Henry gets out. He narrows angles. The defence did brilliantly. Mandrakar James has been an excellent addition. Um, so they they do all these things, but it's, they've just got to ad- adapt to a game against an MLS side. They'll go back in this weekend. They'll play their football and they'll be a dominant team again. I think this is just one of those ones where it's like the frustration. They've just got to wait another year for it to come around. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually a, a very good point where like you see how Forge play against other CPL sides. And since that's what they 90% of the games that they play is against CPL sides, they don't really have the opportunity to vary because, you know, why if it's not broken, why fix it? Right. And it's only against teams like these, like um, the Montreals and stuff like that. And, and Whitecaps and Toronto's and the Canadian Championship that they can actually test themselves, be like, okay, when we're not the big dog, how do we play? How do we respond? And I think that's why, you know, afterwards... I, uh Just jump on that, like, because you keep going. I remember the, the Pacific game was a... They used that. They they defended really well, didn't they? And they did. They let Pacific have the ball. It seemed like, looking back on it, I just was just thinking how that seems to be like a little bit of a warm-up for this game. Like, they, they had the opportunity to actually try <laughs> Oh, you're right. Yeah, no, no, you're right. That was, I guess, a little bit of a a, a warm up for them. But I mean, in the end, it didn't really work out. But yeah, that is true. Um, uh, but you know, I think you know afterwards, they, uh, I think it was Bobby and some of the players mentioned that what will help them grow is the is the Concacaf Champions League, mm-hmm. the fact that now they're going to be in the Champions League, they're going to face teams, big teams from all over North America and Central America, that again will not let them dominate the way that they dominate other CPL sides. And I think that'll be great learning experiences uh, for teams like Forge, because, you know, one of the things I want to do talk about before we close off um, this, this section is that uh, the, the, everyone talks about the gap between CPL sides and the, the Canadian MLS sides. And it's kind of hard one for me because it's sort of performance versus scoreline. Because if you see across the two semifinals, it's five nil to MLS yeah. <laughs> uh, combined. But if you look at the actual performances, I mean, Pacific and Forge both looked like they had it in them to beat the MLS sides. And it just didn't turn out that way because maybe a lack of experience, a bit of naivety. And, and you know, I, I, that's what you can sort of expect from a, from teams that are only, four, you know, five years old. Yeah. Um, but I think that the gap is actually smaller than people initially think. And I hope that with opportunities in the CONCACAF Champions League and as we continue to see more CPL teams face M- uh, MLS teams in the, in, in the Canadian Championship, um, that gap will be more evidently smaller. And 
because that's what we want in the end is we want the Canadian league to be as competitive as the MLS is at some point in time. But yeah, what are your thoughts on the current gap between CPL sides and MLS sides? You're right, especially talking about how it's this is season five for the Canadian Premier League. It's so, so young. Um, these, these MLS sides have huge budgets. They're playing against other teams regularly across MLS. I mean, there's so many teams there to play for who have so many big stars with huge budget that they get these opportunities to play completely different style teams. You can come up against St. Louis, then you can come up against Nashville and New York Red Bulls. Everything's so different. Um, New York City, like each team, they've got quality and they've got different styles of play. Um, I think we're seeing, um, this year that Pacific and Ford seem to be those front runners at the moment. Um, but Cavalry are getting back into it. Um, if each team are providing something else and they're, they're, they're attacking the game in different ways. They're trying to, trying to do, trying to come up with different styles of play and the, the level is performing each time, but getting that opportunity to then go off and play in the CONCACAF uh, Champions League will be fantastic for them as well too. Because then there's only eight teams. There's only you're going to play the same sort of teams regularly. You're not going to be challenged in too many different ways than you would uh, than you'll get when you obviously with a bigger league. And it's not to say I think the CPL needs to rush and just add and add more teams because they need to make sure that the level continues to grow. It's not just just throw things, throw more teams at it and without a plan. They need to keep ensuring that teams will run well, that teams are all good, like off the field or organized to give the teams on the field the best opportunity to continue to raise this level and to, to get these the like to get these um semi-finals and to be able to look at the games and think wow how like the 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 difference really isn't the scoreline and it is just the fact that maybe these MLS sites have that extra bit of budget they have the more games they have uh, like the ability to keep playing more, pay more, get those players that are going to be clinical in the final third. And that's just something that the CPL is going to continue to learn. But I think we can see it's it's really um it's really looking promising. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, like you said, the league needs to grow, but smartly. We don't want to see another FC Edmonton situation for the potential sides coming from Kelowna and from uh from like Windsor and places like that, maybe a, a Quebec side. We want them to be well run so the league can properly grow and not just kind of inflate and then deflate because so many teams join and fold kind of thing and being yo-yo. But yeah, I think uh, CPL are for now on, on the right track and hopefully we get to see more uh, closer games and uh, a couple more upsets for, for CPL yeah. sides in the future. Um, but that concludes our... Uh, Canadian Championship Roundup. We're going to go quickly now through our uh, highlights of the week, and then we're going to do a quick little prediction of what we're going to, th- what we think is going to happen in the CanChap final. But uh, highlight of the week. I mean, I'll start with you, Mike. What was your highlight of this week? Uh, well, I'm going to go with Janario Daniel's performance. Uh, he had last year as a backup to Alejandro Diaz uh, when he went uh, way through the season. He started to get a few more minutes. Ethan Ongaro has been brought in as the big money signing, as that sort of star striker. And Daniels is again proving that he deserves to be in the in the uh, conversation and does so much for his team. Um, he's now hit the bar twice in two games. So that guy's just got to go. Like, once he gets that, I think he can be a really dangerous player. And 
really exciting. Um, so I was really pleased for him um, to do it up against some some very good defenders. Yeah, yeah, I think he's going to be uh, he's going to turn into a, a special player for Pacific, and hopefully we get to see a couple more goals from him and uh, and see him come up big uh, as it seems as the season progresses. Uh, for me, my highlight of the week was just honestly Ali Ahmed's update at the very end of the night that he was okay, that he was traveling back with the team because, you know, as somebody who covers the Whitecaps, who gets to meet the players and hang out with the players and joke around with them, you never want to see, I mean, in general, you never want to see a human being mm-hmm. like that go down and, and be worried for the safety. But for somebody like Ali, he's such a young player, but he's such a hard worker. He's so humble. He's so talented. You know, he... He's just happy to be there. He's happy to be in the team. He's happy to be playing the sport that he loves. So it just is just terrible. It was so terrible to see him down there. And, you know, I mean, people complain about uh, one soccer showing too much images of Ali's fall and <laughs> and his state afterwards, which, I, you know, I, I can agree with. But what we did see it was it was nothing pretty and and i'm just glad he's okay and you know it's just in concussion again a concussion is a serious thing i don't want to downplay it but we were thinking so much worse of like you know potential uh, broke something broken fractured whatever so the fact that he's relatively all right given the circumstances is is wonderful to hear and hopefully he has a speedy recovery Um, it seems such a nice uh, Nice, nice person. He seems so liked um, around the team, and you saw Simon Betcher putting up the twenty twos uh, afterwards right after his goal. Such a such a loving tribute that I love that so much. Yeah, I mean they they come up together into the first team, and you can see that. I mean how hard uh, Ali Ahmed's working, how he's forcing himself into new positions as well into this team. Um, yeah, we really really hope to see him back on the pitch again soon. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Uh, but now let's close out the episode uh, with uh, predictions. I love predictions, so I'm very happy with this. Um, obviously, we're going to talk about the Canadian Championship Final. It's going to be the Vancouver Whitecaps against CF Montreal uh, at BC Place in two weeks' time. Uh, I think we're both on the same page here. Uh, I might be a little biased since I am from Vancouver, but I do think it's going to be another Whitecaps victory. It's going to be Whitecaps defending their title. I just think that, you know, the Whitecaps at home after their initial kind of bad start in the MLS where they lost to, uh, they lost their opening match have made um, BC plays a fortress. And I mean, history's on their side a little. Last time the, the two sides met, the Whitecaps smashed them by five goals to nil. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be a tighter game, a more exciting game, but I still think the Whitecaps are going to come on top against Monreal. Yeah, I agree. As, um, as an Englishman who's not got a team in the, <laughs> in Canada, I just likes all of them. And I'll be the uh, more impartial voice, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I'm definitely with you as well. I am... Yeah, they. I mean, Montreal going down to 10 men so early in that game and just capitulating on what had already been a really bad run of form in MLS. Um, but they got finally got back to playing home games. Uh, they seem to be getting um, used to Hernan Lasada's tactics. They're, they are changing uh, so much like on personnel, style of play. Uh, and they do look like a really really good team. Bryce Duke's been a great addition, uh, not just personally his performances, but also how it seems to seems to fit better in this team. Um, the way that other players can come off a four as well. And really like, it seems to be um, 
really doing quite well um, as their new centre forward. Um, who's going to sort of lead the line there. We've obviously Romo Kyoto out injured. It's they they've definitely got pieces. They can be really um, they can be really dangerous. They've got a lot of pace, of excitement about them. Uh, my catch just seems so confident at the moment. Um, and I think when they come into a game, especially at home uh, against Montreal, I, I, I can, unless, unless they really aren't on their game, I can't, I, I don't see them not controlling it well enough to come away with the, uh, come away with a, a repeat of last year uh, and get the, get the trophy. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I mean, it's cup football. You never know. There's always something that can happen. That's in a one-off game. You can't really ever truly predict it. But I mean, we love doing it anyways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I yeah, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be just a Whitecaps win, and it's gonna be great. So I'm gonna hopefully be there in in the uh, press box can... watching it on. So I'll I'll have some of that insider info info after the after the match for our our roundup of the final. Uh, but that is all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, make sure once again to follow us on our Twitter so that you can uh, give us your thoughts, please. We're posting more and more things on the Twitter account so it can be a bit more active and you can see more uh, graphics and stuff like that. But uh, please, you know, if if you're on Twitter or if you see some of the other promotions that we're doing on other platforms, interact with us. Let us know what you think. If you have any players or coaches or people that you want to uh, listen uh, from, from them on this podcast, we'll try to get them in either to analyze the games with us or maybe like a one-on-one interview like the one we had with Anthony Novak um a week ago uh but yeah just we would love to have continuous interactions because that's what uh that's what we want to do that's why we did this so we can provide contact content for uh more cpl um action and and have the community kind of uh be involved um but make sure to listen to us on uh, Spotify and Google Podcasts as well. Uh, and that way you know the next time we upload. But until next time, I'm Felipe Ojejo. And I'm Mike Rice. And this has been Coast to Coast FC, signing out.